Welcome to the Taylor and Jen podcast. Mornings with Taylor and Jen. This chicken tastes fishy. (laughs) There is an app to help you get over things. Literally, there is an app for that. We were reading about this. Specifically, this one's supposed to help you with your fear of like spiders and bugs. There's one person in this room that's afraid of spiders, and it's not me. I I I don't do spiders well. Like if if I see a picture of a spider on a page, I can't touch the picture. (laughs) I need to like ignore it and then turn the page. Our friend Donna just told us that she was painting and saw a spider, put the paintbrush down, got in her car and left yeah, because she saw a spider. That's the correct response. Well done. She she could also download this app that I was reading about. Oh. Um, now it has 1.3 stars out in of- the Google Play Store out of five. <laughs> uh, so people- I mentioned that was all written by people who are afraid of spiders. People are not wild about it, but apparently what you do, it's like it hooks into the camera on your phone. So you can take a video of like your own hand and then it adds into the video a spider that's crawling on your hand. It superimposes a virtual spider onto your own hand. And so the thought is it's like exposure therapy. Like you sit there and you're watching a spider on your hand, but you don't feel the spider on your hand. So it's not as scary. Um, But apparently I was just reading through the reviews. One thing that people don't like about it is that at one point the spider jumps up at your phone and then the app pauses and asks you to donate money so that you can have the full version and get over your fear of spiders. If you have spent any time with Mornings with Taylor and Jen, you know that our wonderful, lowly co-host Taylor here is afraid of spiders. He says it's it's his only flaw. It is. But just like most superheroes, there is an origin story behind this flaw that has turned him (laughs) into our friendly neighborhood Gearty man when it comes to spiders. So, Taylor, if you would, would you regale us with the origin story of where you became terrified of spiders? Okay, listen. <laughs> I, I happened to learn what happens if you get bit by a brown recluse. Oh, not good. Okay, what? And in the part of Texas that we were in, we had a ton of wolf spiders, mm-hmm. which were brown. And so I just assumed if I saw a wolf spider, I was so afraid it was a brown recluse anyway. Right. Okay. Yeah. So all spiders became brown recluses. And I remember driving with my mom one day and I feel something moving around in my shoe. How old were you, Taylor? Would have been like four, oh, something like that. Three, four. I wasn't superhero. quite in school. I remember I had these shoes that would zip up and they had dinosaurs on the sides of them and they were really cool. Oh, wow. See, look, you but were already dressing snazzy as a four-year-old. I removed my zip-up dinosaur <laughs> shoes and out popped what I was certain was a brown recluse. <laughs> and I'm screaming in the backseat, Mom, there's a brown recluse in the car! And, like, I'm pretty sure she's just like, that's nice, hon. <laughs> I don't know why we do this. Well, you know, here's the thing. Every superhero has an origin story. And I sit across from Mr. Scaredy Pants. I'm scared. Mr. Scaredy Pants. Every single morning. So we found out that his origin story had to do with him being a four-year-old and a spider in his shoe. You know, everybody has a reason why they're afraid of something. Yeah, what are, what are you afraid of, Paul? I am terrified of one grasshopper. You're terrified of one grasshopper? Just like one in particular? He's probably going to die soon. <laughs> 
Yeah, just Unless one- it's Hopper from A Bug's Life. He was a terrifying grasshopper. I could walk through a field of grasshoppers. It's just when there's one. It's just when there's one. Okay, Paul, that's a little strange. I don't think I understand that. <laughs> What, what, why is one scarier than yeah, like a thousand? Than a horde. Because I was attacked by one grasshopper when I was a child. Oh. There it is. I mean, wait, wait. What do you mean you were attacked? Did he just jump on you? I, it kept attacking me, attacking me, attacking me. <laughs> I'm sorry you went through that. So you are a human child. What, maybe 40, 50 pounds, and you were being attacked by one grasshopper? Yes. I'm very sorry to hear that. (laughs) Thanks for opening your heart to us, Paul. (laughs) Thank goodness you have friends. I know. You have so many people who love you. They know how afraid you are of spiders that people like our sweet friend Liz will call and tell you how to get rid of them. If you get the aerosol hairspray, so the hairspray that's in a can, Mm -hmm. and spray a spider, it will stun it long enough that you can smash it. It's a a two-step method there. Stun and smash. Yeah. Yeah. The stun and smash. It's like the best trick. Is it more or less effective against hairy spiders? (laughs) I mean, I use it on some pretty, I don't know, some pretty nasty-looking spiders in my house. Well, I mean, at least they look good when you smash them. (laughs) And smell good, too. Yeah. You get good smelling hairspray. Uh, You know, it makes sense because the way that I used hairspray in the 80s. That was pretty stunning. (laughs) Well, they're both standing there looking at me and they kind of stuttered. They were like, what? And I said, take your plates to the kitchen table. We're going to eat together at the table tonight. And Ben goes, is there something wrong? I'm like, no! (laughs) I just want to eat at the kitchen table because we never, ever do. We don't. We, I am a couch eater, especially Mm -hmm. when I'm alone, which is a lot because my kids are busy. Yeah, the table is kind of a storage unit for many of us, and then, you know, you can eat on the couch in the living room, so we just want to know, where do you eat your dinner? When I was growing up, our only electronic in the house, of course, was the TV. Mm -hmm. And so there was four kids and my parents, and we had to eat dinner at the table with no TV, and you had to talk about your day. Okay. No TV. How did you feel about that? That's all I knew, so it was fine. Okay, so what about now? (laughs) Now, I sit at the table, my daughter's on the couch, and my grandson's in his room. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) But we do have the TV on, so we can watch TV. There you go. But you like the table. Is that because of the way you grew up, or is that because you don't want to mess up your couch? That's it. I'm kind of a down my front kind of eater and it's easier at the table. We all have one. Mm-hmm. We do. We have one. I mean, even even college students usually have one or something of its ilk. We have a kitchen table, dining room table, whatever you want to call it. It's a table and it's designed for you to eat your meals at. But so often we don't <laughs> eat our meals at them. Seriously. I mean, an informal little discussion here at Life 107.1 and the staff is like, I mean, maybe two of us occasionally sit and eat our meals at our kitchen table. Only time I eat at the kitchen table is if I'm alone. Which I think is hilarious. I understand. That's strange. If I'm alone is when I eat on the couch. So we want to know, where do you eat your dinner? On the couch. On the couch. couch. Yeah, you do. Is Is there any food that would make you sit at the kitchen table to eat? No. There's no food that you feel like you can't eat on the couch? No. Okay. What about like soup? I feel like soup is precarious. 
eat it on the couch. <laughs> well, see, when I do soup on the couch, I put another plate underneath the bowl. You do a pillow and then a plate and then a bowl. Yes. Well, yeah. Especially when I eat my SpaghettiOs, I always have a plate underneath. Yeah. It never fails. I always lose one of the O's <laughs> on <Yeah>. the plate. <laughs> well, we don't want you to lose an O. You've got an O saver underneath. Yeah. The, yeah, that's good. Do you ever feel guilty about not using it? Actually, no. You have a, you guys have a big, beautiful kitchen table. And it, it works really well for storing Lindsay's purse and a book <laughs> that I'm going to be getting to later. We just really don't use our kitchen tables to actually eat at anymore, do we? No, Jamie actually has some pretty specific parameters in how hers gets used. In some cases, depending on your home and who occupies it with you, you have to have like different rules for different situations for where you eat. Oh, okay. So, In my house, it's just me and my 60-pound dog who knows no boundaries. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Tell us. Okay, so who sits at the kitchen table? Well, it depends on the number of utensils required. (laughs) Okay. Okay. If I'm eating something that I can hold in my left hand up against the arm of the couch and eat with my right hand with a fork or a spoon, like a one-utensil meal, Uh while my right elbow and my right knee keeps the dog from heavily breathing (laughs) into my food, then I can eat on the couch. Okay. But if a fork and knife is required, or if there is something on the plate that requires a fork and something that requires a spoon, and there's going to be more than one utensil, it's definitely going to happen at the table. All because of your dog. That's a lot of math. Yes. It is. So how sad is your dog when you eat at the kitchen table? She just lays on the floor right by my feet and hopes that something will fall. Our discussion has been hijacked. Mm-hmm. We were talking about where you eat your meals. Do you actually eat at that kitchen table that you have in your home, dining room table, whatever you call it, or do you eat on the couch? But then we started a discussion about what it's like when you try to eat with a dog that has no boundaries. Yeah, Jamie had some adventures, and uh, Terry can do her one better. During the whole pandemic, we ended up with three dogs, so we Woo! have three under the age of two right now. <laughs> the biggest one is 90 pounds. Oh, boy. The oldest old is 70 now, and it's... Yeah, we got a bunch of big dogs in our house, so. And do they all know no boundaries? We have a tall top table, but the youngest one is a Catahoula leopard dog. Oh, yeah. yeah. It is the only known tree climbing dog, so <laughs> he can, at eight months old, jump from standing flat-footed, just like kangaroo hop, and she's on the tall top table, so. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. It's no holds barred in our house. It's like a dine and dash. <laughs> oh, man. It's horrible. Every meal an adventure. And you pray before you get to the table because there's no way you can, like even take the time to pray silently because then they're looking at you like, what's wrong with you? And, and they want to like bat at you and bite your leg. And no, it's no good. It just happens. Sometimes you end up telling your children things. Because they just make your life easier. And we want to know what those things are. When we lived with four little kids in a two-story farmhouse, I guess it was kind of scary going upstairs. But at night, the kids needed something. We'd always tell them, well, we'll count. See how long it takes you to get up there and back. Mm-hmm. It's easier to do that than for us to get up and go with them. <laughs> so. <laughs> so you turned it into a little race? Yeah, and we'd count. And they'd, sometimes they'd yell down, you still counting? We, yeah. Yeah, seven, oh, definitely. Yes, we're absolutely <laughs> counting. But it works. This is where creativity and imagination comes into play with children. I mean, because <laughs> you don't plan this. There comes a moment where you have to tell a child something 
to make your life easier. You got something like that, Sarah? I don't have children, but I am actually a middle school teacher on my way. I teach in Norwalk. So you have children. I have 167 a day. (laughs) Oh, you have the most children of all of us. Oh, yes. I beat everyone. Mm -hmm. So I am an art teacher, and when it's clay time, I've told them we're doing a competition, and it's time to clean up. So the class that has the fastest cleanup time they're going to win a prize. And they're like, oh, okay, like, what's the prize? I'm like, ah, 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 I'm not telling the surprise until I have the winner. So I'll go through all my classes, and then the next day they'll come like, who won, who won? I'm like, oh, this class won. And they're like, what did they win? I'm like, a dance party. And they're like, what? (laughs) (laughs) I think a dance party sounds fun. pretty fun. It's fun for me. Uh, So I think that's all that matters. (laughs) Builds character. I mean, that's what we always said, Character, right? yes. <laughs> we always said. There are times when your children put you in a position, okay? And you have to tell them something. And it's just because, well, it makes your life easier. What did you do, Annette? We were on vacation in the Appalachian Mountains. And we told our son at the time that snails are not allowed to cross state lines. <laughs> Oh, so tell us the story behind the snail. Uh, Well, we have a child that tried to bring everything home from vacation. His Mm -hmm. name was Austin. And, like, they had giant snails in the Appalachian Mountains. They're, like, about the size of a half dollar. Oh. He insisted every time he found one that he was going to bring it home. And every time we tried to get in the car, he would try to smuggle one in the car. And we're like, no, 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 you don't understand. Snails are not allowed to cross state lines. Not bring the snail home. It's against the law. <laughs> he was about to become a snail smuggler. A snail napper. Now, so he obviously knows that it was a big, huge lie. But... He is still our kind of inside joke. Every time a child picks up something, they're like, no, snails cannot create state lines. And then everybody starts giggling. Hey, Amanda, did you tell a child something that made your life easier? When my youngest daughter was young, she liked chicken. So it didn't matter what we were having for dinner. When she asked, I told her it was chicken. It could have been pork chops or hamburger. It was chicken. My oldest daughters never clarified this. They never said anything about it. Years went by. The child was nine. I served baked tilapia. And she said, oh, mom, I don't like this kind of chicken. (laughs) This chicken tastes fishy. (laughs) The best part of that, her older sister is 14 by this time. And her reaction, she just could not stop laughing. She could barely breathe. She was laughing so hard. And the youngest is just like, what? It is really easy to focus in on that one negative, isn't it? Oh, my goodness. It stands out glaring amongst a whole field of goodness. You you almost have to make a choice to focus on the goodness and to, like, order your mind around the goodness. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the first things that a, a counselor told me once when I was going into therapy was that your brain is like a forest and you practice these pathways that you're walking down. And if you keep on walking down the negative pathway, it's going to be so much easier to walk that way. And so you almost need to forge new paths of gratefulness and hope and all this kind of stuff. And I've thought about how that has influenced my faith. Because Lindsay and I were talking about, of all things, envy recently. Interesting. Because, I mean, we, we've been through so many phases where you look through and it's like, man, those two got married. All oh, those two got their own house. Mm-hmm. Those two have full-time jobs. They've got kids. They've got this. They've got that. Why can't I have that? And I realized that we were rehearsing a truth 
in our brains every time we did that. Interesting. We were rehearsing the truth that a marriage would give us ultimate fulfillment, that a house would give us ultimate fulfillment. And the more we looked at those things and said, if only I had this, the more we were telling ourselves, this is what has ultimate value. Interesting. And so I think about these verses that talk about like fixing your mind on the things of God and taking your thoughts captive. I wonder how much rehearsing the truth that I have all that I need in Christ and marriage is great. And a full-time job that fulfills me is great. But until I can walk a different path in the forest of my mind mm-hmm. that what is going to give me ultimate meaning and purpose is something that has already been given to me it's going to be kind of tricky there's two types of personalities that come out at the grocery store right there's the personality that goes in has a list gets what they need and leaves that's that's all i need to do i am an efficient i'm going to go in and i'm going to get out because I don't really like grocery stores. I do. And in my current grocery store right now, pretty much when I go, I start at the beginning. <laughs> it's just like a little dotted line right behind me. I just go, I go up and down all the aisles. Every single aisle, I go up and down. I just walk. I look. I see. There's lots of fun stuff. Sometimes I buy it. Sometimes I don't. And then I come to the end. I go through the line and I leave. But I have explored Every aisle. And people like me do not like shopping with people like Jen. <laughs> it's it's very difficult. But Jen, did you know? What? I read some science about you. Uh, science! Science! This article examined the personality traits of aisle explorers. Is that me? Am I am I, I'm an aisle you, explorer? You are 100% an aisle explorer. <laughs> All right. Well, if you're an aisle explorer, too, you need to listen up and hear what this says about you. Yeah, it's, so if you are the kind of person who explores every aisle on the shopping trips, which apparently 64% of people do. See? I'm in the majority. You are most likely to identify as an early bird. Oh, well, duh. Adventurous. <laughs> well, yeah. Introverted. Introverted? And you like scary movies. <laughs> so. Well, two for four, eight two. What are you like when you go into the grocery store? Yeah, what's your grocery store personality? Science says that you're either go in like a heat-seeking missile, get what you need and you leave, or you're an aisle explorer going up and down every single aisle. Which one are you, Rose? So I'm saying that there's a third one. Oh, okay. okay. And my family is very much this. We are similar to Jen, and we have to walk down all the aisles, but they are definitely not in any correct order. <laughs> oh, really? Really? <laughs> Why? Well, you generally start in, like, groceries, you hit up the main things you need, and then you just kind of wander to the other side. Wander? You don't want to go home yet, and then you're like, oh, I needed that, and then you go back to the other side, and then you remember something else at the bottom of the list, and that's, of course, on the other side of the store again. Oh, I'm <laughs> Are exhausted. Are you doing this by yourself or do you have somebody with you? Well, I try to do it by myself, but we have six kids, so that's not a good option. Okay. Hey, (laughs) if you're alone at the grocery store as the mom of six kids, I would drag it out for every possible second. (laughs) It's a mini vacation. (laughs) Nice. And this time, science is weighing in on how you act at the grocery store. Mm -hmm. They say that you could be an aisle explorer, somebody that goes up and down the aisles and looks at everything in the store or a heat-seeking missile that goes in and gets what they need and then leaves. Which one are you? For the most part, I'm an aisle searcher. But the thing that determines how long I'm in the grocery store 
is how many children I see (laughs) (laughs) because I'm an elementary teacher. Mm -hmm. And so anybody from ages five up to about 16, I have taught. Oh. And <laughs> they come in, or I see them down the aisle, and here they come running, Mr. Shelton, Mr. Shelton. Oh. And it, it's, <laughs> it's so fun, but it definitely determines how long I'm in the grocery store. <laughs> hey, Sarah, what is your grocery store personality? I am the person that must walk down every single aisle. Because I never remember the grocery list, so I have to see things to trigger it. Yes. That makes you an aisle explorer. It's even worse than that. I have had people that when we were done, they say, I will never go shopping with you again. Never. Why? What do you do? Because I compare prices. I compare brands. I look at the box to make sure that I'm getting good quality stuff. So it's not (laughs) a quick trip. So how long does an average grocery trip take you? Let's see. I usually go on Fridays. And so I'm usually there after I drop my son off and I get there about 830. And so I'm usually home putting away groceries somewhere between 1030 and 11. Two hours. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, Two I, hours? I, I, I would not. I would not go shopping with you. So you know how when you're scrolling through your Facebook feed, there are certain things that make you actually stop and, and look at a post. Oh, yeah. All right. I don't know what it is for you. For me, it's food. <laughs> Somebody posts a picture of food. I will usually stop to look at it. And in this case, it was a picture of food. And I could tell it was a picture from inside one of our wonderful grocery stores. Mm-hmm. And it was posted by my dear sweet friend whom I love. Her name is Lori. And she asked a question. Do you ever look at an entire vegetable group and think to yourself, I wish I liked you. <laughs> she says, I see you cilantro people and I raise you a squash. Oh, she's not a fan of squash. She had taken a picture of like the produce section at her grocery store of all the different varieties of squash. Yeah. Of I mean, because... There's a lot of gourds. Yep. Right? There's a lot of squash out there. Butternut, acorn, I, zucchini, I know, summer. Seriously, I know. Wow, you know all of them because I know a lot about food. I'm really like an expert at mm-hmm. eating it. And I don't think I even know all the names yeah. of all of the squash. But she doesn't like any. Can I make a guess here? Yeah. In the comment section, are people trying to explain to her that she just hasn't cooked it right yet? There's like over almost 30 comments by people wanting to try to convince her. To come over to the squash side. She literally just said she really wants to, but it's not working out. (laughs) But you haven't tried it my way. I guess you could call it an involuntary dislike. Oh, yeah. I mean, I understand my friend Lori. She wishes she could like squash, but she just doesn't. She's tried all the things and it's not working. (laughs) And we want to know, is there something that you just wish you liked? And no matter how hard you try, you can't make it happen. My son as a baby could not eat any cooked carrot or cooked squash, it would instantly uh, trigger his gag reflex. And I tried hiding it. I tried, you know, anything I could do to get it down. No, it didn't work. And so when he grew up and he had children, he said, now, children, we are going to eat these foods. And you do not get to be picky about what your mom made you because these are nice foods. So I'm going to show you that you should eat these things. 
and he took a bite of cooked carrots, and it was all over. Oh, no! It happens again! He tried, though. He was going to set a good example for his kids. The Taylor and Jen Podcast is a product of Northwestern Media, a ministry of the University of Northwestern St. Paul. You can hear more from Taylor and Jen weekday mornings online at life1071.com or on the Life 107.1 app.